All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan, and welcome to this episode of the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Jordan Erskine. Jordan is an innovative founder with 20 years of experience in the cosmetic contract manufacturing industry. In 2015, Jordan co-founded Dynamic Blending. Since then, Dynamic Blending has seen over a 12,500% growth in less than five years. Jordan talks about breathing new life into a stale industry and how you can innovate within your own industries. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. Pleasure to be here. So share with us a little bit about your background and what got you started in manufacturing and in particularly in the uh, cosmetic contract manufacturing industry. Yeah, definitely. So kind of a crazy story. So didn't really, you know, starting to graduate high school, 18 years old, didn't really know what I wanted to do with myself. And uh, in my neighborhood was a guy who started a contract manufacturing company. I didn't really know what that was. And so when I graduated high school, he was like, Hey, do you want to come work with me? At the time there was like 10 employees or less, you know, it was really, really small. And I'm like, sure. You know, 18 years old, didn't have any prospects for college or anything like that. You know, one of those type of situations. And I really enjoyed it. Right. It's really cool learning how to develop cosmetics and skincare products from scratch, especially knowing that a lot of, a lot of that is chemistry and, and that knowledge, but a lot of it's an art form too, in a way, you know? So that was really cool to kind of see how some of these like higher end skincare products come to be. So I stuck with it. I uh, got my undergrad in finance. I, I left that company and went to another company where uh, we are contract manufacturing toothpaste for a large fortune, you know, 50 global consumer goods company. And uh, we were manufacturing about four to 5 million tubes a month of toothpaste. So it was a very fast paced operation. And I worked there about nine years and had a lot of student loan debt. I got my MBA in international business while I was working there at the time. So I had about $140,000 of student loan debt between me and my wife. And so the panic started to set in that we are never going to pay this off and, you know, stuff like that. And so got this weird bug and light bulb went off that I just needed to start my own company that I knew how to do everything on the contract manufacturing side from development to production to, you know, package sourcing, just everything. And so that's kind of what I did. I started putting the pieces together and, and met up with an old colleague of mine that I worked with at the first contract manufacturer and his name is Gavin. He went on to be an attorney. We met back up after not talking about for about nine, 10 years. And one thing led to another and his law firm invested a little bit into dynamic blending and, you know, the rest is history. We only took on about $175,000 angel investment at the beginning. And to this day, it's still privately owned with me and Gavin. So pretty wild. Wow. It's come and yeah. So, so when you're talking about a 12,500% growth in less than five years, I'm sure when I read that there are people that are listening to this podcast saying with their ears perking up saying, I would like to have a small percentage of that kind of growth. So, <laughs> right. you know, what were some of the things that you did that, that set you apart like that in such a short period of time? 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think one thing that I did is kind of learning from the other contract manufacturers that I worked for and, and just knowing like, hey, this is my company now, you know, I want to build it my way and, and how I see it fit, things like that. And one thing that was really important to me was the team. And so I started recruiting people. I got a couple of really key people that because we couldn't afford them, you know, we couldn't afford um, like higher salaries for them. These were subject matter experts, you know. Uh, we gave them equity. We gave them, you know, a percentage of equity and dynamic blending. And that really obviously sparked interest and had them work for us for a little while for free or whatever until we could start affording that. And so that was kind of the first thing is like I knew I needed the team in place in every single area to help us grow to where we needed to be, you know. So like our chemistry, our our R&D uh, director of R&D developed the Ancestry DNA solution. So he has pharmaceutical, drug development, chemical development, you know, all that. So he's our director of R&D and then our director of quality. He worked for, you know, he helped Johnson & Johnson get out of FDA issues and stuff with Tylenol back, you know, 10, 15 years ago or whatever. And so we've got people in, in place that are subject matter experts. So I can focus on what I need to focus on. Gavin can focus on what he needs to be focused on. Because if you don't have that team, I mean, I'm sure a lot of your listeners or other manufacturers out there will be like, yeah, that's exactly right. We've learned the hard way on, you know, not putting the right people on the right seats on the bus, you know, so. Well, and a couple things comes to mind. Number one, you're starting a brand new company and in order to grow it, you're giving parts of it away. So that had to be a little scary, but also, you know, finding those right people and making sure that you, like you said, you got the right people on the bus right away. So what was that process like, you know, thinking yeah. about, okay, in order to uh, get these people on board, I'm going to have to give them a piece of my company. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's pretty common, obviously, right? With startups, you know, a lot of these techie companies, when they go public or they get bought out, you know, you hear of like 50 employees became overnight millionaires and things like that. And and really, you think about it, it's it's also the motivation. You know, this day and age, I think it depends on the industry. But like in our specific situation, you know, we didn't have the technical expertise in some of these fields. We knew we couldn't pay, you know, 150000 a year plus in salaries or, or more for some of these people. And so we had to get creative and, you know, and, and taking a step back and looking, I'd rather have a small piece of the biggest possible pie than me own a hundred percent of a company that's barely doing a million dollars a year or something like that. Right. And so you have to realize like, it's not always this, that situation where you do have to give up equity, but in a lot of instances, you can also have it like vested over time. Right. So you're not worried about, Hey, are they going to perform for me? Well, you can give them like little small, you know, 0 0.2, 0.25% over year over year just to stick, just to make sure they stay with you and they're working toward the business and that they still have that ownership mentality and things like that, you know? And so it, it is hard. I mean, some people, you know, do not like that, but then, you know, I, I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur mindset. So I'd rather have a lot of little pieces and helping and knowing that there's other teams within those groups helping build that company than it all falling on my shoulders, right? Uh, that's another risk on the other end. So, well, and those two words too that you said that that ownership mentality that you know when you have people and they literally are owners of the company, so they're going to look at it differently because everything yep. that they do, you know, they can potentially have a piece of it. So, for people listening to the show, you know, maybe that looks like um, some profit sharing. Maybe that looks mm -hmm. like opening up the books. 
and and there's a different level of mentality because as you know otherwise employees just think that you are just shoveling dollar bills into the back of pickup trucks yep, but yep. having that ownership mentality they can actually see the the numbers of the company and you know and play a significant role in that yep yep and then on top of that you know when things get tough you know like the owners, it looks good for the company. Like the owners, like, you know, we've had to do this a little bit where we might drop back our salaries for 20% for a little while, you know, just to help with cash flow or onboarding some of these large clients. Like I told you, you know, they want net 90, net 120. So that's after delivery. So really when you're talking about those type of terms with some of our clients and maybe similar industries and things like that, you're really fronting their whole production project for six months plus because by the time you order bottles and materials it's 12 weeks and then it comes to your facility then you got to manufacture and then it's another net 90 or net 120 payment on top of that delivery right so you're really stretching out like six eight months on some of this stuff and for little small medium size small to medium size manufacturers like we can't really do that with every client you know and so we have to get creative and stuff like that and ownership mentality helps you know, everybody. When you're getting creative with things like basically bankrolling your customers of, of working with them to create that win-win, uh, what are some examples or other ideas that, that you have brought into that to work with your customers? Yeah, I think, I think one thing is, is, you know, a common thing in our industry is just forecasting for the most part is just it doesn't exist. You know, a lot of these big brands we talk to have like zero forecasts, but the ones that do have good forecasts, it's easy for us. What we've done is gone to these suppliers, which we've never really done in the past because we've never been put in these situations. And now we're trying to create longer term, like 12 month to 24 month supply agreements with them, working through the brands and then working with the suppliers. And a lot of time they don't require us to put any sort of deposits down or anything like that. And that just helps solidify those products for that brand. And it sounds crazy, but again, in this industry, it's it's only the big dogs have that figured out, you know, like the Unilevers and the, you know, the Johnson & Johnson stuff because their teams are so big and they're, you know, multinational and stuff like that. But a lot of the big brands don't have good forecasting. They, they're flying by the seat of their pants and it sounds wow. crazy, but if you can get them reined in, then then, you know, the supplier wants to know because if they don't know, we don't know. And so we're placing orders with the supplier like that, right? Just panic. Like, oh, they placed an order with us. We got to panic versus, hey, here's a six month layout. Here's what we can commit to. Here's what the supplier committed to. Then we have agreements with the the, the client, you know, if, if, you know, maybe it's a personal guarantee or company guarantee or something like that. But there's ways that you can, you know, it might take a little bit of risk. But I think in this day and age, you have to kind of step outside the bounds to like keep your customers happy, keep that supply chain flowing. So. I mean, you have to look at everything, really. Right. Well, and even taking that step back and planning of what that uh, what that looks like, you're almost setting a goal that, you know, when you have that in your mind, your subconscious starts to figure out how you're going to make it happen. So it's great from the standpoint of being able to finance it and get it out there that you have the, the numbers that are at least close and not just throwing stuff against the wall and mm -hmm. seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, so, and, and how do you, how do you change that mentality when you're working with somebody that may not have ever thought about forecasting before, you know, what's the, the steps to start that process? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we send them like some templates and some guides and things like that, like what to look for, you know, on, on and it depends on where they're selling. You know, some of our clients sell on Amazon, which is going to have a completely different like product sales cycle than than something that's sold in like Ulta, Sephora or even Target. Right. And so they're all kind of different cycles and the way they order and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we help them. We determine kind of where they're where they're selling at. And then based on just our knowledge and, and trends and, you know, we've got a really good team of, you know, project managers and supply chain professionals and planners that that that's what makes dynamic so unique too. You know, we didn't really get into it, but we, we truly are like a turnkey and beyond because all of our subject matter experts, we can consult on projects maybe that we don't even manufacture or, you know, our quality team has consulted with some of the biggest brands that we're manufacturing for that you would think, Hey, they've got their stuff figured out, but they still need us to consult with them. So that just shows you the level of expertise we have that we're helping some of these larger pharmaceutical companies, like, get through some of these drug processes and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're adding a lot of value to, you know, your customers. So what do you think are some of the ways that manufacturers listening to this podcast can start to reconsider the value they're adding and maybe add additional value to what they're doing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a couple of things that, a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, if, if, you really dive into your customer experience, you know, like for, for the most part, you know, manufacturing is, is pretty stale. You know, most manufacturing industries like, like contract manufacturing for cosmetics, it's pretty stale. It's been done the same way. Most of our competitors just want really large orders. You know, they want million unit orders and they don't really care about anything else, you know, where we care, we want to build the brand. We want to help the brand succeed and be a part of it and be a partner. And so I think, I think, uh, you know, really diving into what your customer experience looks like to help that will really, it really does go a long way. You know what I mean? Because when people are shopping around and they're researching and there's so many companies that still don't have good websites or good web presences or anything like that for information. And so when companies are shopping around and they're, you know, they're doing their due diligence per se. They're, you know, they see a website that looks like it hasn't been updated since 1990. And then they look at this other website that maybe you know, cost $20,000 to build that difference, you know, in a lot of industries and a lot of brands and, and companies would, would be like, oh, well, you know, these people look bigger, you know, just, just that whole consumer perception in a way. And so that's kind of what we've done is we've, ha- we've established a really good like web presence so that everybody can find us. We're a resource and we're just continually building out like education materials and things like that. And you think about the fact if people are shopping around, a lot of times it's going to come down to price. And it's like, where can I get mm-hmm. it the cheapest? And that's all they care about. But if they find somebody who is adding value, who's taking the time to send them templates to create forecasts, and they're working with them, and they're creating an actual customer experience, because yeah, the mar- it's not like the margins in manufacturing are massive. So price is certainly a big part of it. But by the same token, if you can have reliability in your suppliers, if you can have that trust, if you can build those relationships and, and stop all the turnover, not only from a vendor standpoint, from a, but from a customer standpoint, that's certainly going to have a huge bottom line impact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and where's everybody at? Where's everybody at now that had the sole mentality of, I got to find the cheapest I'll bet you 90% of those companies or more are scrambling right now, right? And so 
I mean, we're even seeing price increases 20 to 25% on raw materials daily. We're getting notices and we can't just go take that and add 20%, you know, on our clients projects without them knowing, Hey, my unit cost just went up 75 cents. What the hell's going on? And we have to explain like, Oh, well, you know, your chemical that comes from Bulgaria, that's only, you know, processed once a year, like those type of situations, you know? And so that mentality I think is starting to change with the current supply chain state to where, if there's companies like Dynamic out there that can really show that value and, hey, we can be more of an extension. So when your team is scrambling with marketing or artwork, well, Dynamic's marketing agency can help you, you know? And so that's kind of the mentality you need to have is just where your customer pain points are. Like maybe you have a big client that, that runs another product at another manufacturer that's having problems. You don't have that machinery, but maybe that machinery is a $250,000 investment. Well, is that worth that risk? Maybe if you can get, you know, multi-year manufacturing agreements out of this client to switch over. So you got to get creative, you know, and you got to get innovative. And sometimes that takes a little bit of risk on if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. Exactly. And if you have that type of trust and relationship, then the price increases. I mean, we're all expecting them to happen. It, none of the, us like it. But we realize that right now with the, the craziness of supply chain and everything, I actually had an, something happen last night that we saw this like in action. We had gone out for, to a restaurant for my birthday and they gave us the, the menu and we were starting to look at the menu. And then they came back and they're like, oh, wait, we just got a new menu and they switched the menu. And my husband was like, the prices just all went up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> While you were sitting there. <laughs> While we were sitting there. A restaurant that we both love. We've been going there for years. We have a trusted yeah. relationship. And we also know that in order to survive, restaurants have to raise their dollars. And it's a yeah. good enough experience. We know we're gonna the food's gonna be amazing. We know we're gonna have an awesome time. So it didn't matter. And yeah. going right back to what you said. When you are upfront with your vendors, when you have that trust built with them, then you can, you know, hopefully not watch uh, the prices go up as you're sitting there. But yeah. yeah, it's a lot more understandable when it does that way. And I, I think one other thing too is just transparency. You know, I mean, people love transparency. It sounds crazy, you know, not to keep beating the dead horse, but we just talked to probably one of the biggest brands, you know, in the whole world in, in terms of like consumer goods and stuff like that. And the, the comment from them to us was, we like you guys, you guys call us fat. We're like, what? Wow. They, they've been talking to other manufacturers that don't even call them back. And this is a multi-billion dollar company. And we're like, this is crazy. Just call them back. And so wow. the love, that level of transparency, I think is lost on a lot of manufacturers. And, and that's why like the contract manufacturing game has such that, bad reputation for like, you know, always keeping people in the dark or, or not really being truthful and things like that. And that's what we're trying to change just by being like, we have nothing to lose, right? You're either going to want to work with us or you're not. And we feel like we can prove to you that we are the best. And most people that, you know, come through our facility, they would agree. So that's kind of that mentality that you have to build towards and, and have it, you know, 24 seven in your facility company. Yeah. And just for goodness sake, calling people back, 
I think that maybe, maybe too many times we're, we're making judgments as far as what that person wants, what that company wants. Oh, we have this yeah. massive company calling us right now and we just don't even have enough inventory. So we don't want to turn them down. What, you know, whatever those thoughts are, it's like, stop thinking those thoughts and just make the darn call. Right. <laughs> yeah. Idea. And, and the fact that now you've built those uh, relationships with these large companies because you're calling them back. It's kind of a very sad sentence, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's humbling for sure. You know, but hopefully we can be an example as well. I mean, but nobody wants to do business with anyone that feels like that. Right. That feels exactly. like they're in the dark or someone's something shady is going on behind the back door or something like that. And it's just unnecessary. So what do you think are some of the other ways that manufacturers today can innovate in what they're doing, even if they've been doing things the same way for years and years, you know, mm -hmm. are there some little ideas that maybe they can get started with? Yeah, definitely. One thing that, that people think is very expensive is robotics. You know, there's quite a few really good robotics companies out there that will do like lease options. And so we're going to be adding some robotics to, to our manufacturing lines to, you know, to train them on different things and stuff like that. And that will increase our efficiencies, you know, obviously decrease labor a little bit, which given the markets you're in, obviously like California has issues with labor markets and manufacturing, New York, New Jersey. So that kind of will help, you know, Utah, we haven't seen much in terms of that, but we're more adding it for efficiency and, and some of these larger clients, they want to see automation. And so, you know, there, there is a lot of ways that you can automate and not have to spend, you know, a million dollars and you can do like a lease back or some of these robotics companies will just charge you like almost like a per hour, like an employee that it's running. So if it's off during the weekend, they're not even charging you lease for that. You know what I mean? So that kind of helps you when you're working out your piece, you know, your COGS and your cost accounting to be like, oh, well, this is easy because the robot only ran for three and a half hours with this shampoo and it did this, this and this. And. You know what I mean? So I think that's one way. I mean, uh, going back to the customer experience side in a, in a weird way is just what a lot of people don't have that, that we're building out is like a customer backend dashboard, you know, like, so everything doesn't have to be through text, phone and email and things get lost in email, you know, having like a central dashboard location where clients can log in, they can see all their invoices, they might, we're going to link it to their inventory so they can see their real time inventory whenever they want. You know, they can pay invoices, just all that stuff, building out like approvals for artwork within this system. So it'll be like a full circle, even quality management for the client in a way as well. So, you know, just again, things like that, that will simplify not just your operation and efficiencies, but what can you bring to the client? And, and depending on what industry and what you're manufacturing, it could be anything, you know? And so you just have to be thinking in that, in that line. Yeah. Well, and with automation, not only is it helping with the worker shortage because and, and getting rid of some of the grunt work, some of the monotonous work, you know, finding the tasks that nobody likes to do anyway, yep. Yep. starting there with your automation. But the other thing that it does, and this is where, you know, manufacturers kind of do the, uh, yeah, why didn't I think of that? But it's a great recruiting tool. Because when you have a, 
potential employee walking in and they see robotics and they're like, these are the coolest things I've ever seen. I want to work here versus seeing all equipment that's 50, 60, 70 years old. Yep. Then it, it also becomes a recruiting tool. So it's helping because you don't need as much labor, but you're also more likely to find people if you're showing that you are innovating and you're keeping up with the times and, and giving them some opportunities that maybe they wouldn't have with other manufacturers. Definitely, definitely. And, 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 and one other thing I'll say real quick is just, uh, you know, another good idea, if you're manufacturing something that clients are coming in, they're visiting your facility, you know, if it's one of those type of industries or, or you know, organizations, then you know, build out like an experience center, build out some sort of like innovation center. So when your client comes in, you know, you can wine and dine them and, and show them all the creative stuff and, and things like that, that you're doing and plan with them. And clients like that, because a lot of manufacturers, they don't like to give tours. They don't want people coming out to see what they're doing. I wonder why. Right. And so, you know, we're always inviting people out. And every time we invite them out with, with the way that we've had our facility set up, it's a sell, you know? And right. so if others can, create their facility where it's a nice inviting place, then it's an easy sell, right? Because exactly. people, most people don't have experience and every time they walk through a manufacturer, like, oh yeah, shiny, you know, like you said, shiny robotics, shiny machinery, whatever. And so it's a sell. So get them to come to you, get them to, you know, and, and I know that's hard depending on states and COVID and kind of give phasing out of that lately, but hopefully that's getting better for most manufacturers and stuff. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I love about working with manufacturers, like I love good plant tour. I mean, I just mm -hmm. think it's cool. But the in manufacturing, it's like people are passionate about things that nobody else on the planet even thinks about. So to take a tour with the customer and see people who are maybe working on the line, doing the same monotonous stuff. But when you ask them about what they do, they're so excited about it and they're, mm -hmm. they're so passionate about it. So I think that you're bringing those, that people, that connection, those relationships into the tours and you're just kind of, you know, opening up the robe and saying, hey, this is what we, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. And we'd love to have you join our family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we even go a step further. I mean, we'll offer to film their product being ran on the lines. You know, we're, we make sure not to film like, you know, the equipment names or anything like that, but you know, we'll do cool stuff. We'll do cool stuff like that, that people can put on their website or social media or be like, Hey, look at my stuff's being ran, you know, and depending right. on what product you're running, it could be an electric bike that you're raising money on Indiegogo or something, you know, but just yeah. things like that people love, right. They love to see that manufacturing process. And so does the consumer because the consumer never thinks about how cosmetics or skincare is made. It's just, it's just there. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Like everything it just, else. <laughs> yeah. It just magically shows <laughs> right. up at the store and you know, that, yeah. <laughs> that's about. Sure. <laughs> so, so as we start to get to the end of our time together, cause we can talk about this all day long, but sure. what's your, what's your favorite tip as far as uh, innovating and uh, creating that customer experience? Yeah, definitely. I think, well, I got a couple, I think, I think first it starts with what I was saying earlier is just having the team, right? Because those that have ever worked with difficult people or have had difficult owners and co-founders on their team, I mean, you know, the stress and headache. And so that's why it's so important to just get your A team as fast as you, as fast as you can, you know, even if it means you got to leverage a little bit or you got to extend your, you know, salary to them a little bit, whatever the case may be, I think it's that worth it, right? Because 
you don't want to be that person where 80% of your day is spent on personnel issues, right? Especially if you're a, a founder and you're leading a, a manufacturing company. So with that, then um, I think you have to figure out a way to get into that mindset. And it sounds weird, but like leading up to me jumping, you know, the corporate world to start dynamic blending, I never thought about marketing, innovation. I never did, you know, and I've had to learn that and train myself over the years. You know, I learned how to do web design and SEO and really immersed myself in like branding and marketing so that I, I'm a, you know, somewhat of a knowledgeable person about it, right? Given the field I'm in. So I think a lot of people just ha still have that eight to five mentality, even owners, but it's like, there's a reason why, you know, Elon Musk says he still works 80 hours a week. Like there's just, if you're a founder and you're an owner and you're trying to grow, you just have to put in that work, you know, and that's where those ideas and those innovations come, you know, from putting that work in and not having that eight to five job mentality, which you shouldn't as an owner anyway, you know what I mean? And so people are afraid to branch out. Like I said, I, I had operations and manufacturing experience and I knew, I, I knew the skills I needed was going to be sales, marketing and that type of stuff and learning how to innovate. So full steam ahead, you know, back in 2015 and, and now we're just building like the coolest stuff. And so your mindset has to change. Yeah. 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 And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. I'd say LinkedIn. So look at me up on LinkedIn, Jordan Erskine. I actually just had another really cool supply chain article that was posted in Newsweek the other day, newsweek.com. So they can check that out as well. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on there daily and posting stuff all the time. So. Okay. And if somebody um, was interested in learning more about your services, what are some of the ways that you yeah, work with your customers? Yeah, definitely. So basically once a customer comes to us and, and we determine kind of what projects, what they want, right? Because we manufacture hundreds of different product types. We manufacture color cosmetics and organic skincare and OTC products, you know, like hand sanitizer and fluoride toothpaste. And so we're kind of all over the place. So we really have to determine kind of like what they want first, but then we, then we team them up with an account executive and a project manager and they really help them do everything. If they don't have any packaging, we can help them find packaging. If they don't have marketing or branding yet, we can help give them ideas or even do that full project for them. Um, all within, you know, Vineyard Utah. So we don't, you know, we buy bottles and stuff from other suppliers, but everything really is done in our, in our facility and vineyard. So. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, Jordan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Lisha. Have fun. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.